It is what it is. But um, we're just going to go to our prayer time. And as you have prayer requests, you can just uh, let Stacy know and she can add you to the email chain. If you would like to be a part of the email chain where we get different requests throughout the week and pray for each other, I just encourage you um, to let Stacy know or uh, join that way. But um, as we pray, uh, you may have a request or something on your heart and you don't have to share, but just lift your hand so we can just identify that. If you have a specific prayer request you'd like us to remember this morning, just lift up your hand and uh, we'll pray. And um, Jesus, we thank you that you see our hearts and you know what we're going through and you understand the struggle and the temptation. We thank you, Father, that we are not alone, but that you are with us and that you have a plan for us. We thank you, God, that when we feel isolated, when we've had to quarantine, that you have met with us and your presence is right there. So may we choose to seek your face. May we desire your wisdom. May we walk in step with you that others might know your truth. Father, help us to be bold and obedient, that we might be the answer to someone's prayer, that we would be the Christian to speak into their son's life, that we might be the Christian to give a smile or an encouragement to a cashier or to a bank teller, that we might be used of you to show and display, like the curtain being pulled back on a stage, how much that you love us, how real that you are, and the fact that you have a plan for our lives. So Father, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I have to admit, well, before I get ahead of myself, uh, thank you for your tithes and offerings. You can give um, in the offering bags, give online, give uh, however you choose to give. So we thank you for that. Um, but sometimes I get so excited preparing a sermon. I feel like, man, this is going to be a great sermon. I start to study. Things come together. I'm encouraged. And then for me, I'm like, oh, but everybody's going to be away this Sunday. So I'm going to keep the good sermon until next week because maybe we'll have more people and that could be better. And then I'm like, no, but I really feel like this is a sermon for today. And so hopefully, whether it's somebody watching online or somebody listening later, or maybe it's somebody even here, that this message is for you because I know for me, it meant a lot as we continue in the book of Acts. <clears throat> Dr. Luke, Rook wrote one of the four Gospels. In his first book, he told you, Theophilus, his friend, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. And so, as we've said the last few weeks, who are you telling about what Jesus began to do and teach you? Who are you learning from, walking with, and investing in? Is there someone that you're interceding and praying for? Is there someone that God's put on your mind that just kind of captivates your attention, that as you go throughout the day, you're just like, man, I really want to pray for them. I just sense that they need encouragement. I want to know like how I could help them. And there's others that it's, man, how can I learn from you? It seems like you've gone through a lot of struggles. You've seen death and stared it in the face, but you still, instead of turning away from God, it seems like your faith is even stronger. How can I learn to grow my faith in such a similar way? And that's because the purpose of this book of Acts is for the spread, the expansion of the gospel, the good news. It is Christianity in the truest sense, not the religion sense, but we are supposed to 
make converts, well, Jesus makes converts, but we are supposed to proselytize and tell people that their conversion to Jesus is going to bring freedom and great hope. And it's only because of God that we can have this fulfillment in life when it seems like everything's falling apart. When it seems like, my friend put up a funny meme, he said, you know, gas prices are cutting into your Christmas gifts. I just want you to know right now, be prepared that gas prices are cutting into your Christmas gifts. And as we look at whether whatever we want to point at, that's just discouraging us, we still have this hope in Jesus that we can share with others of his goodness and of his truth. Because the disciples had to wait. We don't have to wait. This promise has already been given to us that we would receive his power and that we would be his witnesses and we would tell people about Jesus everywhere, where we live, where we work, where we vacation, hope to go. This is what God wants us to do receive his power, receive his forgiveness, know that the Holy Spirit is here, the comforter has come, the counselor that's going to guide us. He is encouraging us. He's not saying, you are bad, you are sick, you are evil, you need to get out of my sight. He's saying, you are loved. There's healing, there's freedom here. You can be restored. Let me wrap my arms of love around you and wipe away your tears to to let you know that there is meaning in your life. So we go to Acts 1 as we finished last week. When they arrived, the apostles, the 11, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Elphias, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. So they wanted to make sure it's not Judas Iscariot because he had already died. And Simon the Zealot, how would you like that as a nickname? Hey, that's the zealot. That's kind of like the crazy one. His face is real, but you don't want to get too close to him, and you don't want to invite your friends that are kind of uh, cautious of religion to meet with him because he's just overboard. Like, he's sincere and he's genuine, but how many of you ever— well, don't raise your hands and no elbow the person next to you, but how many of you ever met somebody that's just a zealot? They're like, I love Jesus, and I don't care who knows. And it's like, well— We're actually in a movie theater, so we came to watch the movie, not to hear about you. But anyway, so these were those that were with them, and they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, praying for God's will to be done, praying that they would be open and they would know when God's promise came, that of the Holy Spirit, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brother brothers of Jesus, including James, who wrote, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And I just have to jump back to last week, just Mary, uh, as Jesus ascended and her son left her again and filled with grief, but filled with expectation that he would come again because he was not just her earthly son, but he was also her heavenly father. They met together and were constantly united in prayer. We can pray with and for each other, whether we gather together in a space or whether we're looking at an email and there's a need represented, we can just present it towards Jesus and say, Jesus, you need to be in this. Sometimes I have to be honest. It is good for your pastor to be honest, and especially Sunday morning when you're talking to people, you'd probably expect that, but hopefully it's true all the time. There are times when I receive prayer requests and I'm like, I don't want to pray for that. Like, that's pretty heavy. Like, I'm going to have to attach too much emotionally to get involved. This might mean, like, I don't just pray, but now I have to give a phone call. Then if I give a phone call, this really is 
needing some work and I'm going to have to meet with this person. I'm going to have to invest more time and more energy. And whether it's the role of a pastor, which it isn't only a pastor, but of a Christian to make ourselves available for God to use us in people's lives to bring the truth of his love for them out, then we need to be open to, I'm not going to pray only, but I'm going to allow God to move my steps so I can reach out to to others. Because we can do things from screens and seats and to the streets. We've learned how to learn whether it's a Zoom call or whether it's a business meeting and it's okay and it's good. But as we found, there are more people that need Jesus outside the walls than inside the walls. Not that they need Jesus more, because I think we need Jesus more. Who takes the Lord's name in vain more, non-Christians or Christians? Well, it's Christians, because we're just so flippant about it, but we call Jesus Savior. They don't even know him as Savior yet. So we need to be seeking God's face, and we need to understand how can we go from this place out to the streets that they might know who Jesus is. We want them to know who Jesus is, but who was Barsabbas? This is not Barabbas, the uh, killer that uh, was let go. This is Barsabbas. Does anybody know who is Barsabbas, also known as Justice? Well, we're going to get to this guy in a little bit because he was one of those in the room. And you might think, we need to tell people about Jesus, but nobody knows who I am. Well, most of us don't know who I uh, Barsabbas was until a little bit later. Acts 1, 15 through 17, during this time when about 120 believers were together in one place, including Barsabbas, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking um, through King David. This is Judas Iscariot. This is the one who sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. This is the one where we would uh, say, say so did the, the worst thing that could ever be done. But scripture says it had to be done that we might have salvation. It had to go through that we might know Jesus. Judas was one of us who shared in the ministry with us. There are those that share in the ministry and sometimes we just want to cut them off. We want to say, hey, what happened instead of reaching out in love. I have to believe based on scripture that if Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, if he came back and repented, Jesus would have restored him. Jesus would have said, you are welcome, you are forgiven. But Judas chose to walk away. He was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. I hear this frequently in different magazines or Christian uh, articles about people deconstructing their faith. And deconstructing your faith isn't necessarily bad, but in a lot of contexts, it's, well, I can't be a Christian anymore because there was this inconsistency in this Christian's life that I tried to follow. And because they were inconsistent, then I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. When we need to be looking at the consistency of the one who said, I'm the same today, yesterday, and forever. Look to God to follow who Jesus is. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all of his intestines. This is pretty graphic. The Bible and the Old Testament, especially if you like action, if you like war, if you like stories, it's like, wow, it's kind of like exciting. But then we're like, this is church. Like, that's pretty graphic, which it is. And, well, we'll just move on because it's so graphic. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name, Alkadema, 
which means feel the blood. This was interesting to me. Verse 19, the news of his death spread to all the people. What does Acts 1 say? You will receive power. You'll be my witnesses telling about me, Jesus, everywhere. What were they telling of? They were telling about how Judas died, what Judas had done, his betrayal, his treachery, what he had done, how he died. That was more known right here in this context in that upper room with 120 praying than Jesus promising the power of the Holy Spirit to come. It's so easy to focus on the negative. I don't know why it just comes naturally, probably, but we would rather, I would rather focus on, oh, can you believe that bad thing that happened? Instead of saying, hey, wait, something better is coming. Because this is like, uh, I hope it's coming. Jesus said it was coming. I think it's coming. Jesus is trustworthy. But this is what I can see. This is what I can feel. This is a fax. This is everything all together. So we focus on the negative instead of instead of telling people about the betrayal of Judas, we could tell people about the hope of Jesus. The news of his death spread to all people, which was not what Jesus wanted them to focus in on. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time. Uh, we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. We must choose a replacement. Choose a replacement. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, this is, he had to witness, he had to see. I don't know what parameters they were given, because when I read scripture, Jesus never said, choose somebody to replace Judas, and you have to use this criteria to get the right person. Jesus didn't say that. This was what they wanted to do. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So the, they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice and Matthias. I kind of find it interesting that the guy with three names, he didn't get chosen. So maybe it was just too long to put on his like name tag that we couldn't have Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. We had to use Matthias, but it made me pause, and I try to make things personal. Sometimes I do it too much, but when you read the Bible, I just want to kind of fit in. So Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. There's three names there. I was adopted. My Korean name was Shin Young Suk. My first adopted name was Christopher Weedmark, and then my name now is Jeffrey Michael Fuller. And I was like, man, to be chosen and have like all of your names known or at least recorded, they nominated this one guy, but they wanted to make sure everybody, if you knew him as Joseph, if you knew him as Barsabbas, if you knew him as Justice, this guy was nominated. He was identified. He was chosen. He was picked. He was selected. There was something about him that made us want to, <clears throat> uh, want to engage him in this way and Matthias. Then they all prayed, oh, Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen. And this is good. And this is where good Wesleyans just say, yes, you need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray. As an apostle to replace Judas in the ministry, for he has deserted us, gone where he belongs. His verse 26. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. Then they gambled to see who would get picked. Then they flipped a coin and said, hey, we're going to cast lots. Who gets the shortest straw? It just cracked me up that, like, wait, this is how they did things? But they did, and I guess it's okay, or it was okay. I know, like, my parents don't want me to gamble, so I probably shouldn't gamble to honor them. But 
They prayed and then gambled. And I just think sometimes when I'm selected for a, if I was selected for a team, I say I was, but if I was selected for a team, <clears throat> like uh, Tim Wakefield for the Boston Red Sox, he was a knuckleball thrower. He had never made an all-star game. He makes an all-star game, but they never used him. They never used him. He never got to throw one pitch in his career in an all-star game. He was only selected to one all-star game. I'd kind of be disappointed. <clears throat> I'd kind of be upset. I'd kind of be like, oh, like that's not fair. But as we find out, he was still one that was identified and chosen and selected. He was picked. Even though they drew straws or cast lots or gambled and they picked Matthias, he was still identified as one. And let me find an Old Testament story that kind of brings this out and hopefully uh, will enlighten it to you, that you are wanted. We have been adopted. We have an opportunity to uh, respond to God choosing us to say, hey, I accept that call. I want to be part of your family. So we go to 2 Samuel 9. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Some of us that grew up in church, we understand this story, but I'll give you a quick little background if you don't. Jonathan's dad was Saul, who was the king. So when the king died, usually the son would take over. But David was not uh, part of Saul's family, but he became king. So these families could have been, as many families were, at war with each other. It's graphic, it's terrible, but this is what happened in that culture, that if you were king, but you weren't part of the other king's family, that whole family, all of their descendants would be killed because there was a fear that one of their descendants would take over your kingdom, would take over your reign, would take your place. So out of fear, they would kill all of that other family. But David, he summoned a man named Ziba, it's so funny. Why don't we have more Bible names? Probably because they're weird and nobody wants them. But um, So he summoned a man named Ziba, who was one of Saul's servants, one of King Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. And even in saying yes, sir, there was a fear that um, the servant knew what could have happened. The servant of Saul knew that King David could have had him put to death. And so just by answering honestly, I think that's point number one, he answered honestly, even though there was a fear he could have been put to death, but he answered honestly. Then King David asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. Jonathan was his best friend. Jonathan was the one that David loved to be with, that they were just so tight that if maybe you have a best friend, that uh, maybe you don't see each other for years, but when you come together, it's like nothing ever changed. You get just so excited to be there. Maybe your best friend, if there's ever a crisis, it does not matter if it meant taking out of a loan or driving 24 hours, you would go to them. That's who Jonathan was to David. And so it's, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, but both his feet are crippled. Chuck Swindoll was sharing this message, and he said, Zibbo was trying to say, yes, King, but this guy that you want to show kindness to, he does not look like a king's son. He's not going to bring honor to you because he has nothing to give. It's not going to help you in a political realm. It's not going to get you more notoriety. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. So he goes on to say where he is. And David went and brought him. His name was Mephibosheth. 
He was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. Why did he bow in deep respect? Because he did not know or he did not believe that David actually wanted to show him kindness. He was being hidden. He was in a safe place. He was away from King David because he wanted to live. And he was brought before the king knowing what could be done in those days. And so with great respect, he bowed to David. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. I am your servant, Mephibosheth replied. Was he saying, I'm your servant because I want to serve you? Or is he saying, I'm your servant, just let me live. I will serve you, just let me live. It's kind of interesting. What do we say to God? Do we say, I'm your servant, God, whatever you want me to do? Or do we like, God, just don't let anything bad happen to me. I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I think there's a subtle difference we can learn from David's response, King David's response. Don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? He knew he was crippled. He knew what his state was. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And this is what makes me laugh. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him and produce food for your master's household. So Ziba, who was taking care of Mephibosheth, who was kind of like in charge of Mephibosheth, who could say, hey, like I need this done. Can you go do this? Now the king is telling him that he needs to serve Mephibosheth. He needs to be lifted up. He needs to be raised up and counted worthy. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, so maybe he had enough to, uh, to do all the work. But now Mephibosheth, Jonathan's crippled son, was going to sit at the king's table even though he did not look kingly. Even though Ziba warned them, warned King David, yeah, he has a son, but he does not look like the rest of your boys. He was not educated like your sons. He does not come from a place of notoriety. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's sons. So this is where it hit. I was reading like Barsabbas and Matthias, like they get chosen and like, that's good. And then they cast lots and then they chose Matthias. But Barsabbas, like he was chosen, he was wanted, like he was desired. <clears throat> You, me, are desired, are called of God. We are told that we can be adopted into his family even with our crippled legs. Even with the fact that perhaps one in this congregation or someone online has had an abortion, Jesus says, I still love you. I want you to know that you are chosen. Maybe you've been a product of abuse or addiction. You've gone through difficult things. You've done horrible things. Jesus is saying that your crippled legs do not stop you from sitting at my table. You are going to be one of my sons, one of my children. I want you to know how much that I love you, how much I'm for you, that I care about everything that you're going through, that you 
you are forgivable, that you are worthy, that you can be lifted up and you don't have to hide in the corner and be so scared of that death of, of what eternity is going to bring. But you can sit in front of everybody at my table and know that you are just as God's son, Jesus, worthy to sit at his table. Some churches that might get an amen. I know for me, I'm just so excited that there's a fact, there's a reality that even with your brokenness, there's a, an expression that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people can help people when they've been forgiven and redeemed by Jesus, when they know that God loves them so much and that their sin is no worse than anybody else's sin. Their consequence might be, but because of God's forgiveness, we can know that God is for us. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. So we are here, and maybe you might be saying, I don't know if I deserve God's forgiveness. Man, if somebody finds out what I did in the past, you don't know what my parents have done. You, if you, and frankly, yeah, there may be some people that profess to be Christians that judge you and God forgive them. But hopefully we understand God's forgiven us and we can extend that forgiveness to others. So it does not matter if somebody comes off the street or into our house. And perhaps, and like to be frank for a moment, somebody just shared with me that their uh, transgender father-in-law that's also now their mother-in-law is coming to stay with them for uh summer vacation and they don't know if they should allow it because they have young kids and they don't really know what to do and they're just kind of a mess and they said what should what should I do and I said well you should pray about it like well do you have any advice like yes but you need to pray about it because God wants us to show his love not worry about what somebody is going through because if we show God's love the Holy Spirit is big enough to reach out into that life if you have a family member that says whatever sin we deem as the worst sin and unfortunately Christians have turned the new leprosy as homosexuality and we say hey that's such a terrible sin instead of saying God sees all sin the same and we need to show God's love to all people that we can embrace people we can say that God loves people and that if there's something inside of you whether it's addiction or abuse or something taking place where they just don't know what's going on we can say hey I offer you Jesus I offer you Jesus you, you can go through the Bible and name all the sins you want and that's going to take all day and I'm not going to do it because I want to go golf but you can look at the Bible and see what sin says the bible says a sin or you can look at the bible and say who jesus is and he is the savior that welcomes us at his table so church when you're chosen and forgiven it doesn't matter where the chips fall it doesn't matter who won the lot casting contest it doesn't matter if you're crippled in spirit all that matters is if you choose to follow jesus if you choose to intercede for those that are struggling with their identity those that are struggling with addiction those that are these political wars and say hey we just want to present you jesus we want you to know that jesus loves you and allow jesus to come in and change you and what you always thought that you could build a platform and say this is my identity and look at that and say this is no longer my platform my identity is jesus and what he wants to do in my life if he wants to bring change if he wants to restore if he wants to uh, bring out then i want to follow jesus even with my crippled legs or even better, let people see your crippled legs. 
let them see covered by the blood of Jesus, your crippled legs, redeemed, restored, healed, free. Run, shout, say, Jesus, thank you. Because I'm next to you at the table. I got to brag on Sean for a quick second. I golfed yesterday, golf tournament. All my buddies, they left because they didn't like the food there or something. I don't know what it was. So I, of course, went and got some food. And I went back and uh, my seat was taken. And Sean said, hey, Jeff, pull up a chair and sit next to me. When you have friends that just say, hey, come sit next to me. That's what Jesus is telling us. Your past, it's forgivable. Ask God for his forgiveness, but it is forgivable and take great joy in knowing that there's a seat next to him just for you. Jesus, we thank you for your word and your truth. We give you praise because you are so good. And Father, we do pray for those that have been hurt, that feel a burden, that have a past. May they know your forgiveness and know that you have redeemed and you bring salvation. So, Father, may we declare whatever situation we face, whatever, whatever political hot topic is being spoke of, that we can speak of you wherever we go, knowing that you love us and you've forgiven us and you help us. We thank you, Father, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Be 